0: Welcome to episode 280 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed listening to Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, please consider rating the podcast with five stars. If you're so inclined, you can also leave a review. Your ratings help new people find the show. And if you know someone that you think will like Stageworthy, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You know, I don't think I've mentioned the fact that I started a Patreon on the podcast. You might remember that last year I created an audio drama for Christmas called Saint Nick and the Big F*** Up. And I enjoyed making it so much that I decided to create another audio drama for next Christmas. To help support that, I started a Patreon. For those who don't know, Patreon is a membership platform that helps people like you support creators. For a monthly subscription fee that goes directly to the artist, you can help a creative like me create something new. For me, I'm taking my subscribers on the entire creation journey. Through posts, video, and live streams, Patreon subscribers will come with me for the entire process, from brainstorming to writing to recording right through to the release of the project. And for some subscription levels, I'll even create a special early release version of the project just for them. You can follow along at patreon.com slash philrickaby. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 280 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guest this week is performer, writer, and director, Connor Wiley. are a multi-disciplined theater maker director writer creator actor which of the many uh uh, uh, hyphens or commas Mm -hmm. that you that you that you have uh that you practice were your what was your entry into the world of theater and acting
1: uh performance would be my entry point i think um i got into uh performing in high school as many do uh just in school plays back then um I did a, a a brief a very brief stint at uh uh in acting school at at Ryerson in okay. Toronto yeah. um and then uh I left that program and ended up doing a performance program at Simon Fraser University which is one that's here on the west coast um uh but that's a kind of more like physical theater and devised theater program kind of more oriented towards creation so yeah. I would say like Um, my origins come from performance, but then also from creation and collaboration devising. And then a lot of my early gigs were performance gigs. Um, but I've always been pretty actively engaged in creating my own material too.
0: So you were born, did you grow up in, in BC and then you found your way to Toronto for that Ryerson program?
1: Yes, yeah, I, that was a very brief stint in um, in <laughs> Toronto, for sure. Um,
0: when you say uh, brief, are we talking like a couple of months? Or? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're talking yeah. one semester, okay. one semester. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah,
1: um, uh, just charting the sort of acting journey there. Um, but yes, no, I was born in Vancouver, and I grew up mostly in the surrounding areas, in the suburbs. So mm. that's the suburb of Coquitlam and Port Moody, mm-hmm. uh, which are together sometimes referred to as the Tri-Cities. Mm. Um, and in my adult life and school life I moved into East Vancouver and have been pretty firmly based in East Vancouver, except mm. for, you know, touring gigs and stuff like that.
0: Now, when you were briefly in Toronto, was that, was there a, a culture shock thing? Cause I know that I've heard people who come from Vancouver and they end up in Toronto and they just find it. Um, also same thing for the East coast. They're just like, no, this is not for me. Um, was there a culture shock thing for you?
1: Uh, Well, you know, it's like, it hardly feels like I was in Toronto at the time. I was in theater school, you know, it was like, (laughs) it was an intensive, like, what are we doing? Like 60 hours of class a Mm -hmm. week, Mm -hmm. and I'm living in residence. Mm -hmm. And I'm 18 at the time. So I can't go to bars or experience nightlife, you know, so uh, I don't think then I actually really got a sense of what Toronto Mm. was, you know, I've spent more time since then, like my, Mm. uh, um, uh, my partner is from Toronto. And and now uh uh, lives primarily here so i've also spent some like some stints back and i've done some gigs back in toronto too Mm -hmm. um uh worked on uh paradigm productions the scavenger's daughter Mm -hmm. so i've I've, you know spent stints and i think there's definitely cultural differences for sure Mm -hmm. um but uh I don't fully buy into the <laughs> the whatever West Coast versus East. You know, uh, it's really
0: good. I remember years ago I went to Vancouver. It was my first time in Vancouver, and uh, I had a friend who was there. They took me to this bar in 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 Kitsilano that was based on uh, the only at the time in Toronto. And and um, I was sitting there. She knew the owner, and the owner was like, "Oh, where are you from?" I said, "Toronto." He was like, "Nothing good ever came out of the
1: East." Uh-huh. And he
0: walks away, and my friend goes, "He." came from toronto <laughs> you know?
1: yeah yeah i i feel like the the whatever kind of rivalry exists is kind of for show you know i feel like oh, anytime sure. i see it, it's just like tongue in cheek you know sure yeah sure
0: it's it, it yeah it, it it there's no reason for any actual competition no. so now, you mentioned um, that 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 theater school aspect of like 60 hours a week in class or whatever. I remember being in theater school, and I was at George Brown College, and the college mm. was kept sending out these notices and making sure that we knew, oh, there's like a, a pub night at the thing, and there's a this and a that, and we would always be like, you guys have no idea what's happening here.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like, uh, well, especially in those conservatory style programs. Yeah, You're like they really, I think, intentionally try to like keep you insulated, you know, oh, incubated sure. from the world a bit. Yeah.
0: Oh sure. I mean, I think I do think that's part of it. That the immersive nature of it is part of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: we just always found it interesting that you know, they would post the notices for us so that right. we knew about the events that we didn't have time to go to. But you know,
1: yeah. <laughs> just to just to tempt you.
0: Yes, just so that we knew. Uh, yeah. Just so that we knew. Um, yeah. now. We talked about your sort of like your professional, like the, how you got, you entered the business, but in terms of your origin story, the, your theater awakening, as it were, your, your superhero origin story, how were you introduced to theater and how did that become a thing that you decided that was going to be
1: your life's work? Interesting question. Uh, I, I think that is a journey and whether it is life's work, I don't know. Um, I think I just caught the bug a bit. I had a really great, um, I took it as an elective in high school and I had a really wonderful uh, teacher named Richard Dixon um, who a lot of, actually a lot of people from that school w- went on. It wasn't like an art school or anything like that, but um, a lot of people went on to, to pursue careers in the arts afterwards and in theater. Um, and I think that was just kind of my refuge in high school. That was, they just felt like it was my my people and um it's so funny because i'm I'm actually kind of more of a by nature i think a bit of a sh- if not shy like a bit more introverted mm-hmm. person you know mm-hmm. um and uh I, I often i i question i'm like why the heck do i go on stage if i'm so shy you know like why do i do that to myself um and i think there was like there's always this kind of like um parts of myself that are at odds like the one that just mm-hmm. wants to like alone and be with my own thoughts and then the part that's like no you have to go in front of people like Mm -hmm. in the like you know you have to become an extrovert in the loudest way you can imagine um that like i think the challenge of it drove me to it a bit Mm. um uh because i don't know because sometimes i just want to make counterintuitive choices for (laughs) because who knows why um and uh but i think that was like that's that's where i got that bug a bit Mm. um but then like So on that, like to do the short version of that journey, like, yeah. And then I like went to Ryerson believing I was going to be an actor and um, I wasn't ready for that kind of intense program. And, um, and I, I was, I was advised to, to leave and get some life experience after that, which was pretty like, pretty shocking, heartbreaking for me at the time, Mm. a very humbling experience. And then when I went back to school, uh, I didn't know if I wanted to get back into theater or not. So I went Mm. to SFU because it was kind of like, this the school my family gone to. That school, you know, it just seemed like a a natural life step, and I was like, I'll take some English classes, I'll take some theater classes, and I'll see what sticks. And then, um, uh, you know, and I didn't even know much about the program, and it. I think I got really lucky that I had incredible, incredible teachers in my first year, mm-hmm. including um Patty Allen, who's an uh, an actor, and and Heidi Taylor, who runs uh, Playwrights Theater Center PTC in Vancouver. Um and then really great teachers the next years and it was like a really it, it actually was culturally very different you know like I think Ryerson had that kind of like intensity about the conservatory program there mm-hmm. and a um a kind of a, maybe a bit of an older school mentality about it yeah. and and SFU was much more um, uh, collaborative and exploratory for my experience anyway Mm. Um, and not to say that you know there isn't a place for either or but it turned out that the nature of SFU really jived with my kind of creativity Mm. uh, in a much more like synergistic way I would say so I would credit SFU in terms of Mm. like changing my methodologies and attitudes about creating theater and the kind of like politics of that school really imprinted on me, so I, a lot of my origin story comes from the mentorship and and the cohort that I had at SFU.
0: I think it's really interesting that there's such a difference between um, the conservatory uh, 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 sort of mechanism at Ryerson, which is probably very similar to the to what I experienced at George Brown as well. Mm-hmm. It was very intensive, very serious, like very like it was also very uh it, like intense is really the the word that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um and the difference in 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 SFU and 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 I, I sort of wonder um going into these schools
1: mm-hmm. as
0: students, we never really know what we're about to be faced with.
1: No. Yeah. You know,
0: we go and we're like, all right, so this is this is what it's gonna be. And we don't know if we're going to like jive with that program.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know? Mm-hmm. And totally It's almost like somehow there has to be a better way to be like, all right. So the program here is like this. If you work well like that, then great. But if you don't, then maybe you want to go to a school like this, you know? Yeah. It's just like you sort of just get stuck with whatever school system you have. And in some cases, uh, they have a history of abuse in some of those
1: schools. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, also, though, I mean, how would you know when you're – if you're coming out of high school and you're 18 years old, like how would yeah. you know? How would you, you know, when I went to Ryerson, I was like, oh yeah, this is for me, you know, like this is the, where I'm supposed to be. And this like intensity is going to help mm-hmm. me like break through and yeah. discover who mm-hmm. I am. You know, it was like the pressure cooker of that was going to be the right thing for me. And I was going to rise to the occasion, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and over, you know, in my adult life, I have realized that that kind of mentality is actually really not healthy for me. <laughs> you know, some people can thrive in those situations and for me, it can become quite toxic, you know, it just like actually reduces my ability to see broadly mm-hmm. and just gets me on this like one track mind of like succeed or fail, you know, it's just not, it's just not useful for me.
0: Yeah. There, there of course, would be no way to know what, what works, especially when you come in that young. I remember mm-hmm. when I was in theater school, our head of acting used to always say, you're all just so young.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: If only you'd come to me five, in five years or something like that. And we were all like, but we didn't. We're here yeah. now. Yeah. And you're you know?
1: like, wait, I can't wait five years to yeah, come back. I'm not going to wait five years to no, become sure Fuck do you, you know? man. Yeah. But, you know, um,
0: there's also uh, – I've lost my train of thought, but that's all right. Um, there's there's this this idea of, of um, <clears throat> you know, when you're 18, especially for these programs like at Ryerson and at George Brown where they have that whole like, our job is to tear you down and then build you back up. If you were older than 18 or 19, when you went to that school, there are things that happened in those programs that I know when I was older, I would be like, no, fuck you. That's not how we do this.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: They kind of need you in some programs, like really young and naive and malleable. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a little bit about that uh, that abuse thing, I think.
1: But I absolutely think so. Yeah. Interestingly, if I may share this anecdote, like culturally different, yeah, is that uh, one of my mentors at SFU, um, uh, Penelope Stella, uh, who is now retired, um, has this wonderful um, opening lecture that she gives to every uh, theater student, and it's called the Strip Down Lecture. And she kind of outlines the kinds of ways you get stripped down, that theater school strips you down, you know? Mm -hmm. And it also maps onto like character work and stuff like that. So, for one thing, it's like, um, uh, like phys- there's a physical strip down in which you're gonna get like, you're gonna be hungry, you know, like you're gonna, it's, you're gonna, you're gonna go through physical changes as you go mm-hmm. through the exhaustion of theater school, right? Um, and, uh, and, and then she kind of outlines the like ways in which you can have a healthy relationship to this strip down and ways in which you can have an unhealthy relationship to that strip down, right? Like, so one of the ways is to like, become a bit comfortable with hunger, right? Like you need to develop a certain amount of stamina, um, uh, it, but also to like nourish yourself with food and healthy things, you know? Um, but as you go through this physical strip down, you're also going to be tempted in towards things like addiction to substances, to alcohol, um, to to bad foods, et cetera. Like, so she really like takes this apart in many different ways. So there's the physical strip down, there's an emotional strip down, there's a, a social strip down um uh a spiritual strip down um all these different ways in which you can be stripped down and and mm-hmm. they also apply to things that like that these theater schools that we're talking about do do you know like you do get emotionally stripped down you know um but one thing that penelope says is um she will and, and also she says, you know, like the fact that you can get stripped down in these ways is not a bad thing, you know, mm. it's just a thing that can happen, you know, and there's different ways, different avenues to get there. But she said, she said to us, like, I will never force you to do that. You know, I will never forcefully or manipulatively strip you down spiritually, emotionally, etc. If you want to go there you have to give yourself permission to go there Hmm. if you go there it's up to you you know and so on one hand you know i do think that some people sometimes like benefit from from help from mentorship to like get you to those places right Mm -hmm. because because those kinds of vulnerable vulnerabilities can be very useful right they can be they can be um uh very useful for performance and and for creation but Mm -hmm. but unless you know how to manage it it can also be extremely dangerous so part of her philosophy was yes you can have you can go to these places in some cases you know it will benefit your work to go to these places but you take responsibility for getting there yourself and for caring for yourself in those places Hmm. so interesting to like you know give the students that kind of agency over that journey um
0: yeah Mm-hmm. That's such a such an important important difference. I remember um, when I left theater school, remembering like they were like we're going to tear you down, and then we're going to build you back up. And mm-hmm. I I really felt like they'd done a great job of tearing me down, and <laughs> yeah, I think a yeah. lot of my my classmates did as well. Yeah. Great job of tearing us down. Not such a great job about the building back up.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Now, as far as as being a theater creator, now this is probably not something that they talked about much at Ryerson in the time that you were there. Um, I know that when I was at George Brown, things change very slowly in the world of theater school. They don't, we don't really deal very much with, with the creation of theater Mm. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of theater schools, but the school that you went to was focusing on, on creation and, and, and things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Was that where you felt the call to do that? Or had you felt that before you got there?
1: I think I had certainly felt that call before, but not known it, you know, not necessarily known that that was the call. Um, and once it was encouraged there, it absolutely took hold very quickly um, that I had this desire to create. I mean, I had in, in, you know, in high school, like I had been in you know, media arts classes and made you know short films and things like that too. So I'd always had like a bit of a creator streak, but I think it was in, at SFU when that really formalized. Hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. now uh as far as creation goes because you know there's collective creation there's writing do you feel called more towards the collective creation or just or or sitting down and writing or are they both equally powerful for you uh
1: they both have their appeals for sure like i am trained in collective creation um and collaboration and uh i would say most of my work is built collaboratively um But I think a lot of my collaborators would say, you know, I'm also very particular (laughs) about what I want in many cases, you know, and um, just looking at like, looking at my most recent project, if I may, um, K Body and Mind, it was a blend of like, writing process and devising process. Hmm. Um, And, you know, so in some cases, it's like, I'll write a thing, and then we'll devise and we'll be like, oh, actually, this scene functions way more via sound. You know, sound should take center stage here, and I have to rewrite the text to align with that. You know, um, but um, you know, I also have a habit if left to my own devices to really overwrite something. You know, to really mm. go d- way deep into my own um, into my own imagination uh, in ways that can be counterproductive in terms of collaboration. You know, like I have to like ooh do a big letting go process to be able to get it back into the collective creation mm-hmm. uh, or collaboration model. Um, Uh, So I do a blend, I would say. In some cases, Mm. it's very much collaborative. And in other cases, I am absolutely a control freak who would love to be able to do (laughs) everything on my own.
0: It's funny you talk about overwriting. Um, when, when I write, I, I've, over the years I've, I've, I've learned, um, how I write and mm-hmm. I learned that if I write on a computer, I will absolutely overwrite.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. I will
0: end yeah. up having to cut so much. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, one of the ways that I, I learned how to trick myself was to write by hand, like get a notebook and write by hand, old fashioned style, as they say. And, uh, then I, I underwrite, mm. but it's. In some ways, it's better to underwrite because then you can build on it. And I do because then I do that when I transfer it from the written page into the digital page when I write mm-hmm. it onto the computer. Whereas it's so... And and cutting is just so painful anyway. So I know. I'd rather build on it than like have to cut it later.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can respect that for sure. Like I think that was a, a humbling thing in this latest process too, where, you know, isolation, you know, and the inability to gather and do a workshop meant i had a longer stretch of time than usual to write and the result was i had like a like a whole season's worth of television writing (laughs) you know (laughs) that i was trying to cram into a single you know uh, evening length work um Mm -hmm. and so that was a painful process of cutting there but I, you know that's uh certainly like and then I did like a process of rewriting because it was like we got into rehearsals and I was like, oh, God, what have I done with this text? You know, um, <laughs> it's impossible. There's no space for any of my collaborators, right? So as I started to rewrite segments of it, I really, you know, had to be, you know, with the support of my collaborators, you know, mm-hmm. and mentors like encouraged to write it, write less and leave much more space for everyone to create inside of it. And mm-hmm. and. Uh, um. I, I, so I certainly see the value in it and it was incredibly helpful for that process. Yeah. So I, I, anyway, to say that I, um, your process of wanting to write less, I, I think there's definitely value in that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, now doing something like, like K body and mind and doing something like that, that's digital.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, what was your path to deciding? Cause this is all we have. And so we have to decide, it was all we have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to decide how are we going to present this thing digitally mm-hmm. what technologies are we going to use mm-hmm. um do we do it completely remotely? Do we do it with actors in the room but with minimal contact and and that sort of thing how mm-hmm. what was the process of of building this this digital presentation
1: um a variety of uh choices. I love talking about this stuff so I would say that um in terms of steps along the road like um we did a first like Sort of prototype performance version um in twenty nineteen at theater replacement's uh push off event uh, it was like a twenty five minute version and it ended up becoming kind of like the backbone of episode one of the of the digital version of k body in mind that you that is online right now um uh, and um when we did that, we took documentation of it, so we like um documented it on camera um, to like for, for archival purposes and for, um, for, for grant purposes. Um, But I learned, we learned with that version that the style of performance mapped really compellingly to camera. Hmm. Um, uh, And I think this was kind of like one of the early, um, moments when I recognized because I had been playing with these kinds of like styles of performance that were related to theater, this kind of minimalist style of performance and dissociated style of performance that I was kind of getting from like the sort of like New York style of minimalism that I recognize in the in the works of like Richard Maxwell in the New York City Players. Um, But then when we mapped it onto camera, I was like, oh, this kind of has like a David Lynchy vibe or like a uh, Yorgos Lanthimos vibe who Mm. made the lobster. Um, And I was like compelled by its like applications on camera. Mm. So I'd always held in the back of my mind that when we were done the live performance, I would consider adapting it to camera, you know, like to a web series or a TV series or a film or something, you know, like that. That was an exploration that I wanted to do. Um, And so when the pandemic made it very clear that um, we wouldn't be able to do a live version in the way that we had uh, planned to do it. Um, that pivot already made some sense, you know? And I I should also mention that my collaborator, my core collaborator with my collective, Awake of Vultures, uh, Daniel O'Shea, he comes from a film background too. Like he did a film degree before he did a theater degree. So Hmm. we already have the expertise on the team, you know? Hmm. Um, So, you know, I was looking at, we were looking at restrictions uh, provincially, looking ahead to November when we had our slated premiere. And it was like, and, you know, at this point, theaters have closed. And it was like, okay, I mean, when, by the time we get to November, what are we looking at? Like maybe socially distant audiences of 50, maybe 20, maybe 10. And I was like, that is just way too much uncertainty for me. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I do not have any interest in risking closure <laughs> yeah. in the middle of our process. That would, just, yeah. that would just kill it forever, you know? So I was like, what is the version that I can do that feels still creatively fulfilling and also has the best chance of getting done. And so that's when we decided to do this, this version, which is, um, I, I think we certainly leaned more towards camera techniques and film and TV storytelling, you know, and I rewrote a lot of it to, to fit a kind of episodic storytelling format with cliffhangers, with, you know, cold opens, with title cards, you know, like trying to, trying to lean a bit more into this miniseries format. Um, of course we had to do it on a theater budget. So, you know, we still shot it in a theater. Um, we, you know, it's still, ha- it's, it's theater performance roots are still very visible. Um, but I also knew that like the, the live stream option w- was never appealing to me. Uh, mm. because, um, uh, I think there are definitely times, you know, and, and useful applications for live stream, but like mm. what you lose is, um, audio and visual fidelity, right? You're getting like crushed pixels. You're getting latency with sound. Um, uh, I was also like, and like when I watch something at home, it's always on an on-demand basis, you know? Yeah. It's like, I, I, what? when do I schedule to watch something at eight o'clock on a specific day, you know? So I just wanted it to, I, it was an experiment to see how much we could interface it with the ways of watching at home that we're used to. And then also, you know, we were able to, Get more camera angles, you know, like more specificity with this, with the staging and the cameras, um, and shoot it in 4k. So like super high fidelity Mm -hmm. and then get all the posts. Like we're really, we as a collective are meticulous in our design. It's really important to us. Like design is really takes, it takes center stage in a lot of our Mm -hmm. work. And so it was like, what's the best way to represent all of this detail that we're going to do, you know? And, and so that. That seemed like the best way to actually represent the work and that you were going to get a better representation of the performance itself Hmm. and the nuance of what the actors have to do, which is like so intricate and challenging. If we were to to do it in this format yeah. versus like we could capture it live, but I just don't think that this show needs to be that live. Hmm. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, there's there you're asking all of the same all of the questions that I think um are important questions as mm. far as like doing this sort of thing digitally. Um, you know, early in the pandemic, um there was a lot of like, well, we're just gonna do it, you know, and we're gonna do it in Zoom and all yeah, this yeah. stuff. And and that's that's you know, that's in 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 many ways, we were all learning this shit. Oh, for sure. And in a certain in some ways, I think that continuing to do that is really difficult because most of the people that we might be asking to come and see a show have spent all day in a zoom meeting
1: already. Yeah. 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 For sure. And now
0: we're asking them to sit in another zoom meeting, but don't worry, this one's for entertainment purposes and the brain (laughs) just doesn't work that
1: way. No. Yeah.
0: And so it sounds like, like the questions that you were asking were all about presentation and, and how to do that, which I think are really super important questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you were doing something in the theater, you'd be talking about design and how to do it that way, mm-hmm. which of course, uh, you know, where it is more, is harder to do if, if it's entirely remote on zoom or equivalent. And it's just like, we all have our little squares and my bedrooms in the background or whatever.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, and it's tough, right? Cause like I think we latched onto Zoom because it was available, you know, and and like, and no, Mm -hmm. and no begrudging anybody, like anybody who put anything out in the last year, like hats off to you. One hundred percent. It was impossible to do. Um, But like, you know, Zoom was not designed for the purpose that we're using it uh, in terms of like uh, these readings or these presentations. Like, so we're really interfacing with a technology that I think is built for other purposes. Yeah, no, Um, you're exactly right. They built it
0: for meetings and webinars and not for theater. And it it really does show.
1: Mm hmm um so yeah i think we grabbed onto it because it was there but Mm -hmm. uh um there's you you lose a lot you know there's a lot of things what you gain or what you maintain Mm -hmm. via liveness you lose a lot of other things that we love like yeah person to person connection and rhythm and timing and design you know so hard
0: well, rhythm and timing become impossible when you're yeah. doing a live stream and when you're doing Zoom. Yeah. Like you take into account that if it's just in Zoom, there's like a, there is like this, this, I think 0.05 millisecond lag anyway. Yeah. Regardless of what might happen between computer connections and things like that and internet connections. So it can be like this really chaotic thing, which makes things like timing or also the fact that like we can't control like which side of the screen each person appears on for everybody.
1: Yeah. and so you it's can't- like, you can't truly listen to no. what the other person you can't look them in the eye no. you can't you know like yeah
0: all of these essential important things are are missing yeah um and i'm always fascinated by the ways that people make this stuff work mm-hmm. in their own way um it's just that you know every time it's like huh yeah i really can't wait to get back into an actual theater
1: mm-hmm. yeah no totally and i mean like the, the places where i see it working still are like like the reason one of the reasons that i feel like k body and mind didn't make sense as a live stream too is because it doesn't re- really require any like audience interaction you know it's mm-hmm. not live in that way it's really more fourth wall kind of kind of mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. and so like and it's so there's so, there are some shows that feed off of audience interaction that like feel great like they're really fun to watch online and you're like typing into chat and you're spamming emojis into chat or you're mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. saying anecdotes in the chat that like makes it really fun and feel live in a different way you know mm-hmm. and like you know there's there's this endless performance content happening on twitch you know like there's streamers who are playing games or just chatting and talking right. to their subscribers for hours yes. eight hours a day mm-hmm. who, who understand this kind of you know this kind of engagement, and I think that there are a lot of theater performers whose personalities and whose like engagement with the audience actually fits really well with that, you know, that format. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. those are cases where I feel like, yeah, that totally makes sense. But like, uh, you know, K body and mind was not one where we want people spamming stuff into the chat. It's like one yeah. to like turn the lights out, put it on your projector or your TV, and like mm-hmm. watch it in the dark and get scared. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I think I. I think it's case by case for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think you're right. It is, it's like, like I was saying, it's a design element. And so like finding the right medium for the piece and the right way to present it, which again, we would do in a theater if we could, Mm -hmm. you know, we Mm -hmm. would choose, we would make choices. We would make staging choices that are, that are, are, are things that we, we can't always do right now. But Mm -hmm. the ability, the fact that you're able to do it, I think was, was great.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah. And you know what? I was also, I've also been really careful to like, to express to people that, um, uh, and not that you're saying this, but like that the version that we, that we have made now, this mini series version, is not just like a stopgap to the, to the live performance. When Mm we, when, when we, when we decided to do this version, like uh, we as a collective, so wake of vulture, so that's Dan. And that's also my uh, collaborator, Nancy Tam, who did the sound design and composition um, that when we, when we shift mediums and we do it all the time, cause we come from different backgrounds, like we really shift, you know, it's like, we really make, we really find out, interrogate why and how to use these other mediums. Hmm. And so when I, um, I'm like uh, careful to say that, you know, the miniseries version is its own version, you know, and it's a, it's a completed work, um, not just like a stop gap on the way to, to the theater, um, to the theater version too. So on one hand, like, um, uh, yes, we would make choices that would make sense in the theater, but in other cases, it was like, if it doesn't make sense for the camera, then we're choosing the camera version. You know, Mm -hmm. we're going all, Mm -hmm. we're going all the way into the other medium. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's a little side note.
0: Yeah. Um, earlier you mentioned, um, you're finding it strange that an introvert would choose, (laughs) The theater life. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've spoken to a lot of introverts and as one myself, um, I'm no longer surprised that um, introverts find their way into theater. Um, The only thing that surprises me is how long it took some of us, me, for example, to figure out that I was an introvert. Hmm. I spent a lot of time convincing myself that, uh, oh, no, no, as an actor, I need to be an extrovert. Right. Right. And trying to force myself to be that way. And I did not do a good job of it. Um, but it's interesting <laughs> to think about how many introverts I have encountered who are in theater and who are actors. For sure. And sometimes I wonder if that has to do with the way that we, that introverts, have a lot of introverts watch the world in a certain way. They're people mm. watchers, they're fascinated by interactions and things like that. Mm. And also getting on stage is a safe way. Hmm. to be in front of people, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little different than like, all right, go to this party and say hello to 10 people, which yeah, is yeah. like, reduces me to panic attacks. <laughs> you know? I
1: gotcha. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, d- did you at any point have difficulty with the acceptance of being an
1: introvert? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like at various times in my life, I think like, I don't know, I felt like when I was like, <laughs> God, I had like a, panicky year when I was turning 30 you know turning 30 my life is changing and it's like oh my god what are all the things that I didn't do when I was in my 20s and and then I like went on a big like you know a th- three month trip through Europe and and like partied for a year and mm. you know just like I had to do all of my self-exploration as fast as I could and one of those things that I for whatever reason like kept encountering was like I gotta break out of my shell. I gotta break out of my shell, and uh <laughs> So for whatever reason at various times in my life I have definitely put that pressure on myself to quote unquote break out of my shell. Hmm. Um, and uh I think it I think I at this point in my life I, I have uh learned that it's like easier to just like poke my head out of my shell <laughs> instead <laughs> of like break it open like yeah. Um so uh but yes, I have certainly encountered that. And it's also it's so that, that's really interesting that you've put that that way cuz like uh in terms of like that theater gives us that safe place for expression in a way, you know, like that, that, that format for expression. And it totally makes sense because I get to put on a mask or mm-hmm. I get to, you know, put on some sort of persona, same, same thing. Um, but like, I've also at times like been invited to, or tried to like be an MC for an event or something like that, uh, be a, be a host. And I am terrible at that. Like I'm, I'm that mm. like, that is like just being myself and just like, Trying to like engage with an audience really directly in that way is like, uh, that's a recipe for disaster for me. Yeah, that's the time when it's like, oh god, now I'm really naked up here. I need, I need content to hang mm. on to. I need, I need to know the content beforehand. To What's be funny to is that,
0: it. is that I totally get that. I've been an MC
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, um, the way that I was able to do it was, um, I, I would like, okay, so what, like I would write some stuff down, right? I would have like a plan, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would improvise a little bit, but it was like, okay, so now I'm going to, you know, if I need people, things are waning. All right, here's some dad jokes. I can tell, like, it's (laughs) like, there's more planning. I know people who are like, they'll get up and they're like, I don't know, I'll figure out something to say. And it's like, you made that up. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. But it's also, um, I'm pretty comfortable up there. Mm -hmm. Um, I know from, you know, all of my years of doing theater that I like, I can, you know sort of control the crowd I can take them with me mm-hmm. um but you know there are certainly better MCs out there
1: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> you know yeah 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 i i feel like with some prep i can manage that too like but um yeah you know for some people you just see that it's just comes so naturally to them you know mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. i've you know come to come to recognize that uh it doesn't come as easily or naturally to me yes but i i do think that oh, that just becomes part of our material too, mm-hmm. you know, it's like if someone is able to get on stage and just be themselves and be charismatic and engaging with people and warm, like that, we see that, you know, mm-hmm. and if it takes me or someone like me to like, like four steps of self doubt, you know, to like <laughs> unpack on the way to getting onto stage, you know, then that becomes part of my material. Yeah. Also, you know, that becomes part of what we watch. And I think, we see people who crack open in a different way. That's really engaging to watch on stage too. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think there's, it, it does make sense to me that there's a real range of people, but maybe I just like feel that, you know, or had those questions of like, well, am I extroverted enough for this thing? Because you just see those people who are do it so naturally, yes. you know? And you're like, yes. oh damn, it's so nice to see you do this thing with such, yeah. you know? Yeah.
0: I think always there's like, for me, there's this, this fascination with like, you know, you, if, if you, Going to a party that I, you know, I hate to go to them um, and like seeing an extrovert work a room, like at a networking event, yeah. there's like this anthropological fascination I have. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, like, How are they doing? <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, yeah. It's just this weird like, huh, I can't do what they're doing. You know? Yeah.
1: How do I b- construct a playbook step by step to achieve the thing that this person is doing right now? That is exactly what yeah. I would need to do. <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: walk up, smile. What is the thing I'm going to say? And the whole time doing it, like falling apart inside, but trying not to, not yeah. to show it. It's just terrible. <laughs>
1: uh, I relate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you mentioned your 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 uh, your 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 year of of trying to do all of your, um.
1: Oh God, yeah,
0: right. <laughs> all of your 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 um your self exploration stuff, which is which is funny because um not funny, but you know it's it's interesting because we. When we are in our twenties, we have this, this thing that like the thirties are like, Oh, this is a marker at this point, everything changes. Yeah. And we get it in our heads. Well, I won't be able to do this kind of exploration stuff when I'm 30. Yeah. And once you get there, you're like, huh, I can still do that.
1: Truly, literally. So right now I'm, I'm at my, uh, my mom's place out in the burbs and, uh, overlooking this patio, and this is where I had my 30th birthday mm-hmm. with all of my friends and, and family. And truly, on the day that I turned 30, I just like I felt this sense of release. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I can still do all these things. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to do all of them at once. <laughs> I could try this one thing for a couple of months and then this other thing when the opportunity arises and it was just like that was like it truly truly on that day which is just like what that's just like a, a mental obstacle right yes like, but truly that day i just like released and then that following year there was a ton of self-discovery and exploration mm. and you know, curiosity and joy that I got to experience at a very moderate pace. And it was lovely. <laughs> it's just so
0: fascinating that that when we were younger, we have this, this, that block. They yeah. were like, this is, there is, there is a barrier here. And once I get on the other side of that barrier, I can't do these things anymore. Everything changes. And it's like 24 hours later, you're like, huh, I feel exactly the same as I did when I was 29.
1: Yeah, Totally.
0: It's just like this, like the brain does this weird thing to you when you're, when you're younger. Uh,
1: um, yeah. yeah, well, and, I mean, <laughs> younger and you know, uh, now I'm, uh, I'm coming up, well, I'm turning 34 in, mm. in a few weeks and, uh, I don't, I, I can't imagine I'm out of the woods when it comes to, to this kinds of projected obstacles in my we, life. You know, as, as
0: somebody who turned 50 last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, that's one of those things we don't say often. Once you Mm -hmm. hit 50, you don't say it very often because you're like, people will think I'm really old if I say I'm 50. But um, I can tell you that the same obstacles happen in your brain when you're approaching 40. You don't think to yourself, huh, when I turn 30, nothing really happened. But 40 is going to be different. Like somehow each one is like this different milestone that kind of freaks you out and thinks, oh, my life is over somehow.
1: Mm -hmm. All these things that I won't be able to do or it'll seem sad. Yes. Or yeah. Yeah.
0: But after after hitting that the milestone, I've I've been noticing all of these all these people like comedians and stuff who go on TV and they're like, well, I'm 50 now, and they're like, they look like they're in their old man clothes and they're like sweater vests and they're wearing like khaki pants and running shoes, and it's like, are you, like you've given up now because you're 50? I don't understand. Like you're. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're talking like I'm old and dead now, and and it's like you don't have to do that, but okay.
1: Yeah. Well. Maybe it's, maybe it's marketable.
0: Uh, I guess maybe it is. Maybe it is. You <laughs> yeah. probably have something there. Um, Question for you, as far as like, you know, we're sort of like, we're just sort of like for me, my company just hit the company I work at mm-hmm. as my day job just hit its like one year of our pandemic. In, in like the, the, everybody working from home the mm-hmm. for the pandemic and all of that stuff. mm mm-hmm. So we have, there's a lot of thought about about a year ago and stuff like that. As far as 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 that goes like a year ago, mm-hmm. what were you working on and what happened?
1: Yeah, man, well uh a year ago, exactly a year ago, I was working on a project with theater replacement called Mine, which is a show that we uh it's a we perform it in Minecraft, the video game. Um oh. Uh, it's about mother and son relationships. And the lead artist is Maiko Yamamoto, the uh, one of the co-ADs of theater placement. And we co-created it with her son Hokuto and a group of uh, kids aged 10 to 14. And uh, so it's like all these like um, pop cultural and mythical and historical and personal stories about mothers and sons. So it touches on like Bambi and Bambi's mother, um, From the Beowulf myth, Grendel and Grendel's mother. Um, From uh, the Terminator, which uh, you know, John Connor and Sarah Connor, which also is my namesake. (laughs) That's where my name Connor comes from. Interesting. Um, I have questions about that. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for sure. Always, there's always (laughs) questions. Um, So anyway, it's kind of like a big mashup of a lot of these stories and our personal stories, and we perform it like we like live operate it in Minecraft. And then there's like a three projector screen set up. And so this mm. was going to be our like, um, we're going to do it at the, the CULCH in uh, East Vancouver. Um, and all of this news was coming in as we were preparing to do it. We'd already done a couple of runs of it also. We'd done it in, in Burnaby and we'd done it in, uh, at Fulda in Kingston. Um, we'd done it in the UK as well. Mm. Um, so it was really like a revisitation of this piece. Um, but for our, for our hometown audience, And then, you know, day by day, it was like, oh, oh, we, we might not be able to have audience, you know, and then, Mm. and then it was like, oh, we might not be able to have all of these kids on stage with us, you know, like bit day by day, there was all these considerations, like, how are we going to continue to do this project? Or are we going to, that was a real question, too, right? We were freaked out, I was freaked out, you know, so there was like a day by day question of like, are we going to keep coming in and and working on this when we had so little information, you know? Um, And we ended up um, performing it and shooting it as a live stream. So I do believe that we were, you know, in that first wave, if not the Mm -hmm. very beginning of sort of live stream performances in, uh, in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so we did it with like a multi-camera setup and, so, sh- and then um, uh, I can't remember if we piped in some of our like computer content directly uh, as well. Um, but yeah, we performed that on on Twitch and uh, and Facebook Live, I think. Mm. And that was the first experience where it was like, and it was a really engaging, kind of beautiful, cathartic experience too. Mm. Um, and we had people, you know engaging with us in the chat and in mm. ways that we never could have had before too. Right. Mm, like mm. there's a little, there's a scene in it where it's just the kids and they're like riding horses through the city <laughs> and they're talking about being lost. And then Hokuto looks at the audience and he says, uh, how about you? Like, has anybody else felt lost before? And then we got like all these beautiful stories from people in the chat t- telling us about mm. times where they were lost, you know? Mm. Um, so it allows a kind of like instantaneous feedback that we never really got to experience in the live version so um or in, in a different way you know um so that was a quite profound hmm. challenging but profound experience but um yeah we were we did that and it was you know uh emotionally cathartic and challenging time you know knowing not knowing if we were safe or mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. and And then as soon as that ended, I went straight into quarantine. Hmm. I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm locking, locking down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that project would have like, was because it was based in, in Minecraft was kind of like the kind of thing that could definitely work in streaming. Like it it feels Mm -hmm. like it might be built for it.
1: There's definitely affinities for it for Mm -hmm. sure too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had discussions about like how much of the live, um, and the like physical staging, do we keep? How much do we pivot towards, you know, like a Twitch style stream, mm. uh, etc.? So um, those are wild conversations to be having in the days leading up to production. You know, yeah. And, also, I'm, also
0: while everybody is is freaking out in their own way,
1: exactly, totally, hmm. yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and also it was just I was working with. Michael and my friend Remy Sue and um, Corbin Murdoch and uh, who uh, is company manager um, to people that I know really well and really care about and really trust you know so I'm so glad that it was with you know like a people that I felt really had in my back we could really care for each other you know mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to go through that experience together too um, yeah
0: yeah. Now, just as I, we start to draw to a close here, um, one of the questions that I have been asking for about a year now, mm. and because I feel like like we all have these moments, especially as this whole thing draws on. Mm-hmm. There's been like different stages, the, the early days of the doom scroll and then the, mm-hmm. the, the the discontent. We're now in this, I guess, the spring of our discontent or whatever we are going to call it now. But sure, yeah. like joy is something that we all need a little bit more of. Mm. So my question for you, Mm-hmm. is what's been giving you joy lately
1: oh great question um a lot of things have been giving me joy um being able to spend a lot of time uh with my partner you know uh uh has been really wonderful which as i mentioned uh well my partner is jasmine chen and mm-hmm. uh and you know in the early days of our relationship we were um separated often you know it was very long distance and Mm. and um then she um had been spending more and more time in vancouver and we'd been kind of going back and forth and um but then when the pandemic hit you know she's been primarily here and Mm. i feel really lucky that we've been able to really be close and deepen our relationship Mm. um over that period of time um there's silver lining there (laughs) um uh so that relationship you know being able to you know I feel very lucky to have a partner that I'm close to in this time. That gives me a lot of joy. Um, I'm also like, me and my buddies are gamers. Uh, and so we like to play ga- video games together. So right now we're playing a game called Valheim, which is this like uh, uh, Viking <laughs> Viking game uh, where we're just like, uh, we just like spend hours foraging for food and, <laughs> and and like it's like the game is chill enough that like you know five of us um so it's a bunch there's like remy and uh, my friends dan and kivanch and then maiko uh, from theater replacement joins us as well so it's like a real range of people that are like playing this game and, and it's like chill enough that we can just like be running around in 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 virtual space but just like mm. chatting about the world while we do it so like we have a ton of fun doing that we basically like bumped up against the end of the content for the game because it's an early uh, access yeah, so now cool. i just i built a theater inside of uh, inside of valheim <laughs> so now i'm like yeah well once we've like conquered this world what do we have left to do but make art so so now yeah, we have a stage go. yeah I think that's one of those
0: fascinating things that the whole video game aspect is like, I know people, so many people who were like, I'm, you know, I, I bought a switch or whatever. And like all of these, all of these things that that people were doing. And then like the way that, that we are, are sort of both retreating and also sharing a little bit more about our nerdy, listen, most of us don't have much more to do than to jump into video game for a while. You know, Um, the occasional theatrical thing, on uh, on the internet but you know you can't do that forever and you can't watch network netflix forever so it's nice to have some video games now and then
1: totally like i and i gotta say like uh in terms of uh we 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 gamers and introverts maybe got it a little bit easier than our extrovert friends um uh we're all having an incredibly difficult time don't get me Mm -hmm. wrong but uh you know for you and i phil you know if if the pandemic you know this pandemic made us sort of isolate connect over distances you know but if if it was a kind of pandemic that meant that you and i had to go to a party all the time we had to be in a you know we had to be amongst (laughs) 20 people all the time and socializing all the time uh that would be a that would That'd be, be a,
0: the worst pandemic for me ever. That would be, a be a like the situation. only way to survive this is to go to a party every night and socialize <laughs> with 10 people a night. Yeah. I'd be like, I guess I'll oh just, God. I guess I'll just get sick and die. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, I have a list of, 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 of introverts that I check in on at least once a month, just to, just cause I'm like, I'm good. Like, yes, I have my moments, but mostly I'm good. Yeah. You guys, not so much.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Important yeah. to check in. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Connor, thank you so much for for talking with me tonight.
1: It's been a real pleasure.